This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. How's everyone doing today? Doing all right? Uh, It is bright out there. I've been in here since like 7 a.m. and then I walked out and I was like, I can't see. So it's a gorgeous, beautiful day. Hey, I'm excited. Today we're wrapping up this series that we've been in the last several weeks called The Overflow. But before we jump in, I want to wrestle with an idea that I think most of us have probably felt or experienced in our life. And I want to chase after it with the, the concept of would you rather. Have you ever played that game? Like a friend will ask you the question, like, would you rather? And then they kind of give you like two ridiculous scenarios and you got to choose. Like, would you rather eat salty food or sweet food for the rest of your life or something like that? I love this game back when I was younger and I worked with teenagers. So we would be on these long, long road trips and we didn't have devices back then. So we had to entertain ourselves. And so one of the ways that we do is we would just play would you rather and just see what people thought. And so one of my favorite questions that I would ask these teenagers had to do with this idea like, okay, you're going to live the rest of your life on a tropical island. So would you rather, would you rather that island be Tranquil Island, where every day is hammocks and Mai Tais, and it's just chilling in the sea breeze and having a luxurious life, or would you rather live on Danger Island, where every day you're fighting for survival, like Jumanji of old, like, like you got to choose, and then we would just sit and talk about what would you want, and it was fascinating to hear these teenagers like process this and, and dialogue with it, and almost at the start, everyone would be like, no, I want to live on Peaceful Island, Tranquil Island, that just sounds so great, and then eventually one of them would just kind of ask this question, but how long till I'm bored out of my mind? And we were like, yeah, it's kind of the thing. Like, like you kind of wonder like that. And yet, yet like, what about this other one? And, and the, the interesting thing about that question is it was getting to this deeper kind of understanding about life. Like, what kind of life do you really want to live? Like, do you want to live a blah life, even if it seems pleasant? Or do you want to live a life of adventure, a life of impact, a life that has meaning? And, and I know for me what I want to say is that I want to live an adventurous life. Like, I want to live a life of meaning and purpose, a life that has impact in this world that ripples beyond me. How many of you would say you want to say that about your life? Yes. But that's not always an easy life, is it? And, and I, I wrestle with that because it's interesting, when Jesus calls us into life with him, like when we encounter him and we suddenly realize you're it, like you're what I've been looking for, you're, you're the one who's offering me life, He calls us into an adventurous life with these simple words, follow me. They're life-changing words when we hear those words and we respond. Because the call to follow Jesus isn't simply about our rescue, though it absolutely is. Like how good is Jesus that he finds us in our mess and our brokenness and he doesn't kick us to the curb. He steps into those spaces with us and he rescues us out of that into this radical new life. And yet... Following him isn't simply about our rescue. Following him is about joining him in this adventure of chasing after God once again, of finding life with God and suddenly realizing I have a purpose in this world. And that's one of the reasons Jesus taught us to pray, like, God, would your kingdom come? Would your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Like, when we pray like that, what we're saying is, God, can I be a part of the plan? Like the rescue plan that you had from the beginning, can I be in on it with you so that I can live a life that impacts other people? That my life would count so other people's lives would be transformed because of what you're doing in my story. And yet as much as I want that kind of life, I'm not always sure I have what it takes to embrace it. 
Have you ever wrestled with that? Like there's so many times where I think like, Jesus, I want this, this life that you have for me. But honestly, I don't know if I have the resources to chase after it with you. Because I got bills to pay. Or Jesus, I don't know if I actually have the energy to do this. Because people are messy. <laughs> I know I'm one of them. <laughs> and I just don't know if I got what it takes to show up one more time in someone else's story. Or Jesus, I just don't know if I've got the strength to do this. Like, like to chase after the life that you have for me. I know that it's good, but there's things that I want to run after. There's things that I want to do. And, and to trust you with my life requires a strength that I don't know I always have. And when I'm in that spot, too often I will let those limitations determine my participation and what he wants to do. Do you understand what I'm talking about? Have you ever felt that? Have you ever wrestled with that? And see, when that happens, when we let our limitations determine our participation, it's really easy for us to step back, isn't it? To step back and just settle for what's comfortable instead of chasing after him into this life that he has for us. And when we do that, it's so easy to miss out on the fullness of life that Jesus came to give us. what if we don't have to miss out? Like, what, what if we don't have to let our limitations determine our participation? Like, what if it's actually possible to say yes to Jesus despite how limited we feel and trust that he's doing something in our lives and in our story? That when we say yes to Jesus, he'll actually show up and give us what we need so we can chase after the things that he has for us. Wouldn't that be something? I love what we're chasing after in the series, The Overflow. We, we've been looking at this letter that we have collected in the, in the bunch of the different books and in, in the scriptures. It's this letter written by this guy named Paul, one of the early Christian leaders. And, and he was writing this letter to some of the first Christians living in the city of Philippi. That's why we call it Philippians, this letter we're looking at. And, and he's writing because he's wanting to encourage them. He's wanting to support them. He's wanting to share good things in their story. And and he's so grateful for the partnership that they've had with him. And yet what we've seen time and time again is that God is up to something in this world. And he's up to something in our stories. And if we will listen and lean in and trust him, we'll get to experience this overflow of what God's doing in us. And it will spill into the world around us, to the people in our lives, our family, our friends, the people all around us. And, and so today we're going to see what Paul has to say. And, and the reason we're looking at what Paul's writing these last few weeks is because these aren't just Paul's words. That as Paul was sharing this from what he learned and experienced, God was involved in the process so that God was letting us discover his heart for us as well. And so we're going to chase after this today to see what we can learn. And so I just want to encourage you, wherever you're at in your journey, yes, Jesus, I'm with you. I'm following you. He's got something for you. I don't know anything about this, Jesus. I showed up here. I think I walked into the wrong room. Listen, he's got something for you. If you're willing to lean in and listen. And so let's see what God has for us as we wrap up this series and we wrap up this letter that Paul wrote, this ancient letter that still speaks life to us today. And so here's what Paul's writing in Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 10. Or is that 16? Sorry, verse 10. By the way, my eyes are getting old. So I'm like, I'm going to the doctor Friday to get my prescription changed. So I'm going to do the best I can. So if I fumble some words, just help me out. So Paul, Paul continues writing. He says this. He says, how I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know you've always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. 
And so we're starting to see that part of the reason he was writing this letter was, yes, to encourage them, but it was also to thank them. Because when they had delivered the letter, back then they didn't have the postal service, so somebody had to physically carry the letter to him. So they had sent this guy, Epaphroditus, to take this letter to Paul to encourage him because they knew Paul was in prison. And they had also given Paul a gift so he wouldn't die in prison. They were giving him a financial gift. And so Paul's writing this letter. Part of it is to say thank you. Thank you that you thought of me, that you were concerned about me, that you cared about me once again. And so he's writing this letter to say, I'm so grateful for that. But he wants them to understand something that he's learned in his life. So he writes this. He says, not, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. And so here's Paul helping them understand that, he, that he's sharing with them this perspective that he's gained in life, that he's discovered what he's calling the secret of contentment in his story. Now, I don't know about you, but whenever I go to like the bookstore and I see like the self-help section and I see like the people all shiny and sparkly on their books, and like here's the 10 steps that will transform your life, I'm a little cynical and jaded because I'm like, yeah, you probably had an easy life. And yet here's the thing, as Paul's writing these words, he's writing from prison. And yet he's so full of hope that I'm like, what have you discovered? I'm interested. I want to understand what you're saying. You're not writing from an easy place. You're actually writing from a hard place, yet there's hope in your story. So help me understand what it is. Paul, what's the secret? What have you discovered that enables you to do these things? And so he tells us, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. What Paul's articulating here is that whatever my circumstance is, whatever my situation is, whether it's a good day or a bad day, whether I'm living a large life or a thin life, I can handle it because Jesus is at work in my story. He's the one empowering me. He's the one giving me strength so that I can go through life. And I love what Paul's saying here because it's, he's not saying it's my strength. as if Paul somehow was like the perpetual optimist. Like, do you know people that are just always happy? And you, like, you just kind of don't like them? You know what I mean? Like, there are the people that think, like, life is super easy. I'm like, have you ever had a hard day in your life? Like, I don't always trust people like that, right? People that kind of have a limp, I'm like, I think I can hang with you. And here's what Paul's saying. He's like, this isn't because of how great I am. This is because of how great Jesus has been in my story. Because Paul has experienced Jesus show up in his story time and time again and getting him through hard things. And if you know anything about the guy that's writing this letter, he did not start off as a friend of Jesus. Like when we first meet Paul, he's actually trying to stomp out this early movement of Jesus because he thinks Jesus was this, this whack person that was destroying his religion. And so Paul's trying to take it out. And then one day Jesus shows up and says, dude, that's loose in the, the Greek. <laughs> and Jesus is like, what are you doing? And, and Paul's freaking out in this vision moment he's having, and he's like, who are you? And he goes, I'm Jesus, whom you've been persecuting. That's a bad day. Like, Paul's like, I'm on the wrong side. I've been fighting the wrong fight. And Jesus doesn't smite him. <laughs> he invites him to join him. He changes his life. And from the very beginning, Paul realizes, that I, I have a life now. And Jesus has shown up in my story. And time and time again, through hardship and struggle, Jesus has been enough for Paul. And he's wanting these first Christians to understand this. That Jesus is showing up, whatever my, so thank you that you were concerned for me, but I want you to understand 
Jesus is in my story, and his strength is enough for me. And so he continues writing, and he lets them know, as you know, sorry, hold on, i got to find it. Even, even so, you have done well to share with me in my present difficulty. So he's continuing to thank them. He says, as you know, you Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help when I first brought you the good news and then traveled out on from Macedonia. No other church did this. And so again, he's just, hey, thank you that you were a part of this with me, that you were supporting me. He goes, even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent help more than once. And I don't say this because I want a gift from you. Rather, I want you to receive a reward for your faithfulness. And I love this because even as he's thanking them, he's not saying, can you send another gift? He's thanking them because he wants them to experience the benefit of their generosity. He's wanting them to realize what you did mattered. It not only changed my life, it empowered me to share the same hope that you have with others. And have you ever experienced that? Just the, the benefit of your own generosity towards another person? Have you just seen the impact that that does in another person's life when you realize, I want to do this again, I want to do this more? I experienced this multiple times in my life, but I remember very clearly last summer, last June, when we were down in Mexico with our team, we'd sent a team about almost 20 of us that went down, and we just got to be a part of this incredible week, and we built a home for this family that was coming out of brokenness and did different work projects, and, and I just thought, like, this was such a beautiful thing to get to be a part of, and then on our last full day there, I'm hanging out with some of the, the older guys who were there, who'd done this trip for years and years and years. And so we had leftover monies that we had collected as a church that we were then going to give to the different people, the different ministries that we were supporting down there. And so I just remember watching as they're kind of counting the money out, and, and they're like, okay, it looks like we're going to be able to give like maybe $1,000 to support this one and this one. And then, and then I watched as these guys just began to open up their own wallets and started adding to the amount out of their own pocket. And I was like, these guys roll large, like... I wouldn't have thought to bring that much money down here. <laughs> but I remember watching this and realizing they're so excited to give because they're seeing the benefit of their generosity. That something stirred in me, and I was like, I, I want in. Like, I didn't bring their bankroll, but I brought something. And I just, I go to my wallet, and I'm like, I know it's not a lot, but I'm in. <laughs> I don't need more churros or ponchos. Like, t- take this. Because even though my amount was small, I still wanted to experience what they were doing. I wanted to be a part of it. And this is why Paul's saying, hey, I I want you Philippians to know the benefit of what you've done, what you've given, and get to experience the blessing of it. And so he says, at the moment, I have all I need and more. I am generously supplied with the gifts you sent me with Epaphroditus. They are a sweet-smelling sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. Like, your generosity put a smile on Dad's face. And I want you to know that. He goes, and the same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. So now all glory to God our Father forever and ever. Amen. And so here's Paul pouring his heart out, thanking them, encouraging them, helping them know that you're in this with me, we're in this together. And as he's doing this, Paul's sharing something beautiful with them. And so he wraps up this letter thanking them and yet wanting them to understand something important, that Paul has grasped something that has transformed the way he lives his life. And it's not something that's just true for him. 
Because the same God who is at work in Paul's life is the same God who is at work in their lives. And here's what's really cool for us some 2,000 years later. He's the same God still at work in our life. So this thing that Paul's discovered can be true for us as well today. And so here's the thing that Paul's discovered, that his circumstances do not, does not determine how he lives his life. That he's able to chase after what God has for him no matter what he's going through. Because did you catch that as he wrote these words? Look at what he says. Not that I was ever in need, for I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. And I look at this, and, and, and I resonate with it, and I want this. And, I, and at one level, I'm so inspired by this, but at the same time, I'm challenged by this. Like, I'm inspired by this because I want this to be true of my life. I want to have the sense that, like, come what may, another pandemic, whatever it may be, God, I know I can do all things because you're at work in my story. I'm challenged by this because this is a secret that transformed Paul's life that he's sharing with us that I want to be true of my life. And I think if we could kind of capture the essence of what Paul's saying here, here's the secret of contentment. Contentment is not about what you have. Contentment is about who you have. The one who's at work in your story. This Jesus that shows up and transforms our lives offers us the hope of something new, something better than where we find ourselves, whether it's day one of discovering him or day 1,000 of walking with him. He always has something more for us if we will trust him and walk with him. And as much as this inspires me, I'm also incredibly challenged by this. I'm challenged by this because this is not how I naturally live my life when I'm thinking about contentment. Probably because I'm an American, is why I wrestle with this. Any other Americans in the room? <laughs> I mean, can we just be honest? This is not how we typically think of contentment, is it? Because isn't the way we think about contentment? Contentment for us is so often about achieving the next status in life or grasping the next thing, gaining the next what. Like contentment for us is about what we have, isn't it? Just kind of that's how we're wired. And yet here's what I haven't figured out about this. Maybe you can help me. How much more do I need before I'm content? Has anyone figured that out yet? Because here's what it seems like for me. Just a little bit more. If I could have just a little bit more, then I'll be content. And then I gain the new it's or the new what. And then I'm like, eh, the next day I'm like, ah, oh, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. And yet have you ever noticed that having a whole lot of what's doesn't actually fulfill you? Like for a moment, right? Like Christmas is awesome. And then January 1st, I'm like, when's Christmas coming again? Because that's just how we're wired with this stuff. And why is that? Why is it that when we chase what, it's not fulfilling? Here's why I think this is the case. See, when we focus on the what, like what we have or what we don't have, Life tends to be about our limitations, right? Oh, I don't think I can do that. I don't have enough of whatever it is. 
I'm not sure I can be a part of it. And what happens is when we focus on the what, we actually let our limitations determine how we live our lives. I mean, just think about that with the whole concept of generosity, which is a huge thing that Paul's talking about here. Let me ask you this question. When you think about being generous with what you have, is it easier to be generous when you have a lot or when you have a little? What is it? Oh, it's always easier to be generous when I have a lot. So why am I not generous when I have a lot? Like, why, why is it that I think that I'll be generous then, but I'm not generous with what I've got now? So when I was in, going through college, um, those were the thin years, right? Do you remember how, like, you're scraping by, whether that was in the college years or just trying to get started in life? And I remember there was a point in my life where I was making $200 a month. I was rolling large. And I just remember there was this day where, like, God kind of showed up and wanted to have a conversation with me. I don't know if you ever have those moments. I'm not saying, like, like God showed up and we're talking like this. It's like God, God is giving you ideas and you're wrestling with the thoughts with him and you're just trying to make sense of it. And, and I remember God just kind of leaning in into my life at that point in time and just saying, like, hey, hey, Joel, what would it look like to trust me out of that amount that you have? And I was like, okay, well, I mean, if I do, like, Bible math, like, God, you talk about this concept of a tithe that you want us to give 10% to the the kingdom work that you do. Like, I don't think that's a legalistic thing that we have to chase after, but it's a sense in which we're trying to be faithful with what you've entrusted to us. And so, God, I think it looks like $20 a month. He's like, so, so Joel, when are you going to use that to, like, trust me? Oh, God, (laughs) come on. I'm only making $200 a month. Like, I, I can't afford to give you $20. There's no way I can do this. And then as I was wrestling this with him, I just like this thought, he pressed this thought on me. He's like, Joel, if you can't trust me with $20 today, why do you think you'll trust me with more later? And see, I realized where I was living as I was letting the what determine my contentment. I was letting the what determine how I was going to live my life instead of saying, God, how, how can I trust you with what you've given me? And see, when our contentment revolves around the what, the what we have or the what we don't have, life is full of limitations. And you know what's such a tragedy about a limited life? It's never a fulfilling life, ever. And that's so opposite of what Jesus said he came to do for us. Like Jesus said that he came that we could have life and have it to its fullest. That what he wants to do is show up in our lives and give us the life we long for, even if we don't know it yet, as he begins to work in us and transform us and do something amazing in our life. And this is what Paul's helping us understand as he's writing these words because it's what he came to understand in his story. That contentment is not about what you have, it's about who you have. Because when you begin to focus on who, when you begin to focus on Jesus, that he's in your story, like if you're chasing after him the best you know how, saying, I want the life that you have for me, so help me follow you, help me trust you, help me listen to you. When you realize that he's in your story now, life is no longer about the limitations. You know what life is about now? The opportunities. The opportunities that he places all around you to let his life in you overflow to the people around you. The opportunities to show up for another person. The opportunities to be generous with your life in all sorts of ways because you realize it doesn't matter what I have. I know who I have. And Jesus, you're going to use me to make a difference in this world, so let's go. 
Let's step into those places. And when it's beyond me and I don't think I can do it, I'm trusting that you will be enough, that you will show up. You will give me the strength I need so I can be a part of what you're doing in this world. And see, this is what Paul was experiencing in his life, which is why we read this letter. Of all Paul's letters, this is oftentimes considered his most joy-filled letter because he was kind of living in the height of his walk with Jesus, even though he's in prison. Because as we look through this letter, did we once see a woe is me moment from Paul? Not at all. If anything, what we see Paul doing is saying, He's doing amazing things. Look at what Paul says near the beginning of his letter as he's just starting off writing to him. And he's letting them know what's going on as he's in prison. Paul says this, Philippians 1, 12 through 14. He says, I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. Meaning everything that's happened to me since I've been in prison has helped spread the news of Jesus. I'm sorry, but if I'm writing to you from prison... It's not going to sound like this. Hey, guys, it's hard, and I'm trying to make sure I stay in solitary because I'm an introvert and people are scary. Like, it's just going to have a totally different spirit. But here's Paul experiencing something radically different. He goes, for everyone here, including the whole palace guard, the people who have imprisoned me, knows that I'm in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak about God's message without fear. This is a guy who is not letting his circumstances determine how he's living his life, is he? This is a guy who's experiencing something that God is at work in his story as he's chasing after him. That Paul has found this new life in who Jesus is, and it's changed him. And the hope is that this same God who's at work in Paul's story here is the same God who is going to be working in these first Christians' life, is the same God who will work in our lives today. But this isn't just, oh, Paul, that's cool, that was for you. Like, no, this is for all of us as we chase after Jesus. And there's a hope for us when we begin to grasp this. That God has a life for you. A life he wants to call you into. A life he wants you to be a part of. And it's not limited by your circumstances today. If you hear anything today, know that whatever you're facing today doesn't determine the life Jesus has for you. That there are things that he can do in your story, in your life, that will seem beyond you. And the hope is that they are. Because if the fullness of my life is dependent on what I'm capable of, it's going to be a small life. But the fullness of my life, if it's dependent on him, then it will be a greater life than I could ever hope to live. Because he'll take this shy, awkward, introverted little man and do things with my life that I never thought was possible. He can do the same for you. Here's what we saw again and again through this letter. Philippians, look at what Paul says about this. Philippians 1.6, he says, I'm certain that the God who began the good work within you will continue whose work? His work. His work until it's finally finished on the day when Christ returns. That God's not given up on you. We talked about this. Even when you feel like you can't, God can. God's at work in your story. And I love this, what he says in Philippians 2.13. God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. That when I'm wrestling, God, I don't know if I can do this. He's like, but I can. Let me awaken your heart to the life I have for you. Let me transform you. Let me empower you 
so that when you say yes, you get to see the greatness of a life you never even understood yet. And so let me ask you a question, a question to chase after today. Like if you're aware of God's doing something in your story, like you're aware that Jesus is showing up, he's turning the lights on, you're doing your best to chase after him, the best you know how, and you're hoping for the same kind of contentment that Paul is talking about, that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. So here's the question. For what purpose? For what purpose is God at work in your story today? For what purpose is he showing up so you can do all things? I don't think it's so that we could simply live the American dream. I think it's so we could chase after a much greater life than we ever imagined as we look at what he's doing in our stories because God is always up to a greater purpose in your life than I think you even realize. It's like, what island do you want to live on? But it's not an easy choice because there are times where when when Jesus shows up in your story and he calls you to follow him, it will freak you out. So, like, I, I, if you know us enough, you know that our story, like, we were living, like, the, the California dream years ago, and then God's like, hey, I got a new adventure for you, and he moved our family to Canada for almost seven years. You know, and I'll, I'll joke about winter and stuff like that, but here's what you need to know. That move terrified me to my core. I remember, like, when God began to really show up, and it be, kind of came clear what he was doing in our story, and that he was inviting us into this adventure with him. I lived for several months, like, no, 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 no. Like, no, I don't want this. I remember there was two moments in that journey of saying yes that I had two distinct dreams. One was before we moved and one was after we moved. But the dreams went like this. I remember waking up in the middle of the night like scared to death and be like, oh my gosh, I just thought I moved our family to Canada. How horrible would that have been? And then I realized, oh no, we already said yes, we're we're doing this. And then on the other side of our move, I remember waking up in the middle of the night and I'm like, I just had this horrible dream that I moved my family to Canada. What on earth was I thinking? And then I looked outside and saw the snow and I'm like, oh no, I did it. (laughs) See, it was an adventurous life until God said the assignment's done and now I've got the new for you, which was you. We get to be a part of the new adventure with all of you. But I remember Christy put this magnet on our fridge in Canada. And it just had these words. Follow him. He's worth it. I don't know what you're wrestling with today that Jesus is inviting you into, but all I can tell you is I know it's scary. I know it will feel like it's beyond you. I know that the limitations will will be all around you, but what I know is that he's good and he'll show up in your story and he is worth it. So what are the opportunities He's inviting you into with your life today. What are the opportunities that are at work all around you where he wants to empower you and show up in your story that you know he is enough? Maybe it's just right with your family. And you're in the thick of it with family. Maybe it's a marriage or it's a sibling or something. You're just like, God, I don't know if I can do this. What if he can do it through you? What if he can do it with you? What if he can do it for you as you trust him with where you're at today? Maybe it's in in your workplace or the world around you and you're just like, you're really struggling with God. How do I trust you and follow you and represent you well in a culture that hates you? 
the idea of you? And how do I do it without becoming a defensive jerk? But somebody that seeks to just be faithful to who you are and let you show through my life. And when you give me opportunities to represent you, would you empower me to do it well? Like, how do I trust you with being a part of your church? Like, what does it look like to, to be a part of this church that's seeking to make you known in this corner of the world? And, and how do I trust you with my participation in this church when I feel like there's just so many limitations? There's fear of coming out of COVID. There's resource challenge. There's I don't know if I even like these people issues. And yet, how do I trust you to be enough in my story that I will join in? I will serve, I will give, I will participate because I know you're at work in my story. And see, when we begin to do this, we begin to step into the bigger life God has for us as we begin to trust him with what he wants to do. And this contentment that Paul's talking about, it's not a passive thing. It's an empowering thing that allows us to chase after what God has for us. So what are the opportunities he has for you? Do not let your circumstances determine how you will choose to live. Do not focus on what you have or don't have. Focus on who you have. Because when Jesus is at work in your story, you can do all things through him who gives you strength. And I don't know about you, but I need to be reminded of that. Like every five minutes. <laughs> Again, and again and again, that Jesus is in my story now. And when I feel like I can't, he can. When I'm struggling with giving him trust, I can trust him because he's good. And I'm so grateful that he gave us this gift to remember him by. This thing that we call communion. So that was a gift that he gave to his first followers because he knew life was going to get crazy. He knew that they thought the cross was going to be the game over moment. But he knew the cross was the path to victory for them and for every one of us who would follow him. And so he gave us this gift so that we could remember him, that he's in our story now. And so here's what communion is. It's taking the bread and it's taking the cup to remind us of who Jesus is. And so here in this room, we're going to go into a time of communion. And we've got four tables set up that will have these little containers that have a wafer and some juice to represent who Jesus is today. And so as we get ready to go to those tables, I just want to let you know what you are actually doing when you take communion. We're told that when Jesus was having that last meal with his first followers, he took some of the elements from the table and he took the bread and we're told that he broke it. And he said, this is my body. It's going to be broken for you. There's hope in those words because it means that he was broken so we don't have to be broken any longer. And so when we take the bread, we're saying, thank you that you came for me. Thank you that you gave yourself up for me. Thank you that because of you, I can have the hope of a life that's no longer broken. And then we're told he took the cup. And he said, this is a new covenant, this new promise that God was making. He said, it's going to be my blood that's going to be shed for the forgiveness of sins. That he was going to give himself up so that we don't have to face the death that sin causes because he faced that death for us. And then he kicked death's butt <laughs> that first Easter so that in him we could have the hope of life in him. 
And so when we take the bread and we take the cup, it's so we can remember that he is in the story now. And come what may, we can do all things because of him. And so I want to invite you to come to the tables today and remember him at work in your story. And if you're here and you're like, I don't, I don't really know where I stand with Jesus. I don't really know if this is for me. I, I want you to know it is for you because he's for you. And if you want to know where you stand with Jesus today, it's as simple as saying, Jesus, I give you my yes. Jesus, I give you my life. I choose you. I follow you. I turn from brokenness to the life that you have. If you make your prayer something like that, <laughs> he'll meet you today. And you can find him at the table. So let me pray for us and we'll go into this time of worship and communion. And so Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you are good. You are strong. You are enough. And so we look to you today. And we come to the tables in the hope of who we are because of you and the hope of who you are in our story now. And so we want to say in this space, we remember you. So let us chase after the life you have for us. Because we can do all things through you who gives us strength. Amen. I want to invite you to go to the tables and commune with him. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.